podcast. We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. So, my name's John. Um, I'm part of the H2 team. Um, and I had a rather strange day yesterday. Um, one of the, I wasn't sure whether I was going to share this or not, but I think I will. We'll go with it. Um, so I dropped Miles off at a, um, a party uh, yesterday afternoon. And the way I tend to prepare for a talk uh, is I, I read the passage maybe a few weeks beforehand, maybe read around it a little bit, kind of dwell on it. And then... It's not procrastination, um, but I kind of chew on it for a while, and then kind of shortly before I actually come to give the talk, um, I actually sit down and kind of actually write my thoughts in some kind of coherent, uh, a coherent order. Um, and so I planned yesterday, I was going to do that yesterday afternoon um, after I dropped Miles off at this party, because Laura and Sophia and Kit were, um, were out. Um, And and as I was walking home from this party, I came across um, a man who'd fallen down in the street. Um, And he had dementia, and he was there with his wife, and she was very flustered. And um, so there was another lady there. We helped them up and uh, kind of took them into Asda. Um, And uh, and then I was like, how how are you going to get home? Oh, we'll just call the taxi. I was like, oh, I, I didn't live far away, so I went and got my car, came back. And then they did their shopping, um, and, then, and then we got in the car and I drove them back and then helped them into the house. And by the time I got back, it was pretty much time to go and pick Miles up from the party. And so the moral of this story is um, two things. And I'm talking on wisdom. So wisdom here for me looks like probably not collecting my thoughts the day before I actually deliver the talk. Um, But more importantly, um, and relevant to today's talk, I think we have to be open to be spontaneously obedient to the call of God and to rip up our plans and to put them aside and to do what he calls us to do in the moment. And so I'm trusting in God that right now he's going to go okay. (laughs) Um, So I've really enjoyed our... Um, our series on James so far. Um, And I don't know if any of you have done this yet, but if you haven't, I'd really encourage you to do it. It doesn't take very long. Just sit down and just read the whole of James in one sitting. It's only five chapters. It's four pages in my Bible. It's quite small print. Um, And it really doesn't take very long. And it puts the whole of everything into context. And I think the thing that's really impressive about old camel knees himself is that he lived this. He's talking from a place of real integrity when he is um, giving these incredibly hard-hitting commands and teaching. I think there's two books of the Bible that I find particularly challenging to read. Luke's Gospel, where Jesus really like sets the bar really, really high in terms of what he's calling us to in discipleship. Uh, and then the other book that's really hard-hitting is James. And I think sometimes when you read the Bible, you kind of, you're reading through, and it, you, after a few verses, you kind of have to stop for breath and take a pause. With James, it's like every other verse. You're just like, oh, I feel convicted by this. 
And, um, but I think, I think just sitting down and reading it through puts this into real context. And, and the themes that James goes through the whole way through is this is a call to maturity. It's what discipleship looks like. And as I said, he speaks out of a place of real authenticity and integrity when he says these things. So even though it's really challenging, and even though the bar is high, he comes at it from a place of humility, inspiration by the Holy Spirit, and a real authenticity and integrity. So if you do have your Bibles open, um, uh, or your phones, um, navigate to James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." Father God, we just submit to you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you inspire us? Um, would we have hearts open to you that we can receive from you? That we can be changed by you? Teach us what it is to be wise. Teach, it what it is, teach us what it is to be humble and obedient to you. Amen. So, who is wise and understanding among you? I think let's just take a moment, and guys online, I'd love for you to do this as well. Let's take a moment and just ask yourself three questions. First one, how would you define wisdom? Who are the people you consider to be wise, and what is it about them that makes them wise? So how would you define wisdom? Who are the people in your life that you consider to be wise, and what is it that makes them wise? So I'm not going to ask for audience participation, but maybe just turn to the person next to you. And guys online, if you share in the chat, how would you define wisdom? Who are the people you consider to be wise? And what is it that makes them wise?
Brilliant. I don't want to cut good conversation short, but there are some other things that I'd like to cover. Um, so I think if you're having a really good conversation or you haven't quite had the opportunity to share your thoughts, then please do take the opportunity uh, after coffee uh, or during coffee after, um, at the end of the gathering. So I asked my son Miles what he thought wisdom was. Um, and I think he gave a pretty good answer. He said, making good choices. Um, making good choices. See, we are a product of our choices. We make countless decisions every single day. Um, and the challenge for us is that often we don't know what are the decisions that are going to be consequential and what are the decisions that are going to be inconsequential. And I'm sure if you look back at the story of your life, there are loads of those sliding doors moments that at the time you had no idea how important that decision would be, but ultimately ended up changing the course of your life. Sometimes we do know what the decisions are that are going to be consequential, and there's ways of seeking wisdom in those moments that we'll cover afterwards. Um, I think wisdom is about doing, or rather making good decisions about what we should do. Um, I'm training to be a surgeon um, at the moment, and... Uh, seemingly perpetually in training, um, certainly as, as Laura thinks anyway. Um, and one of the most important things about being a surgeon is being able to make good decisions with your patients because a lot of what we do carries huge risk and it's not necessarily the right thing to do. There's lots of sayings that I hear my consultants um, say uh, the enemy of good is perfect. Clever people learn from uh, their own mistakes. Geniuses learn from other people's. Um, and the one that I, I think carries some weight, certainly I've reflected on, is when you're learning how to, do, when you're learning, uh, how to be a surgeon, first you learn how to do the operation then you learn when to do the operation, and finally you learn when not to do the operation. And in the book of James, the wisdom that James talks about, that comes from God, is also about doing. Making good decisions, putting our knowledge and our beliefs and our faith into action. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. In fact, there's a huge amount of the Bible that's dedicated to wisdom. Wisdom being a key attribute of a disciple of Jesus. But it's not about knowledge or intelligence or cleverness. It's about obedience. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, 
The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We know that parable really, really well. Um, it's one of the favourites in Sunday school. I used to sing the wise man, well, I still do, um, the wise man built his house upon a rock as a lullaby to my children. And I think often we kind of misinterpret it very slightly in that it's our lives should be built on Jesus, which is absolutely true, but it's more specific than that. It's our lives should be built on the rock of Jesus' teaching in this case, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, his call to discipleship. And therefore, it's not just about a theoretical process of thinking about who Jesus is and, and, and positioning ourselves in, um, in alignment with his will, but more important, oh, as importantly, and as an outworking of that, it's about putting what he says into practice in what we do. Earlier in the first chapter of James, where he's talking about faith and deeds, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And later in chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. I mean, this bit, this next bit. (laughs) Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good Even the demons believe that and shudder. I'm going to read that again because that's one of the moments when I was reading James where I had to stop. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So it's simple but it's hard. And I'm not speaking here. I'll be honest, I don't feel I have the same authenticity and integrity as James does when he says this. I'm not speaking to you as someone who has got this sorted far from it. I'm speaking to you as someone who is trying, striving to do this better. But the encouragement is that all of us can be wise regardless of how smart we are. 
And all of us can be foolish, regardless of how clever we are. Just because it's a simple instruction to live in obedience to God doesn't mean it's easy. The wisdom of God is not valued by the world. And therefore, what we are called to do can often be extremely countercultural and difficult because of what the world values. In James 3, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Similarly, in the book of Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about the wisdom of God, but also of the foolishness of God, the wisdom and the foolishness of the world. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. I think out of familiarity with the gospel message, we can forget how countercultural it is. I think also, in a post Christendom world, where actually a lot of our laws and practices as a country are built on teachings of the church, I think we can forget as I said, take for granted, actually, the gospel message is completely counter to what the world would naturally do without God. We live in a fallen world, we are in a spiritual war, and the enemy will try and trip us up and distract us, and often he does that via selfish ambition, offence, clinging to our rights. But Jesus... God himself came to earth as a baby, humbled himself, lived in very humble circumstances, was born in a, well, grew up in Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? One of his disciples said before he became his disciple. He doesn't allow his disciples to wash his feet. He actually gets down on his knees and cleans the filth from first century Jerusalem streets off their feet. He does signs and miracles and demonstrates his power, comes triumphantly into Jerusalem with crowds of people cheering him, expecting him to overthrow the Roman uh, invaders, the Roman occupiers. But instead, he allows himself to be arrested, beaten, flogged, humiliated, nailed to a cross, and died. For us. We know the completion of the story. We know that the resurrection happens and that Jesus saves us by the power of his resurrection, by the power of his death and resurrection. We can become 
in right relationship and receive the inheritance that Jesus won for us. We know the story, but that is not, that's not how a human would design saving the universe. That's not earthly wisdom. And so when, when Paul speaks in Corinthians about foolishness, that's the foolishness of the gospel message. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God through the world, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what then does wisdom look like? Wisdom looks like Jesus going to the cross. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like humility. It looks like obedience. Putting aside bitter envy, putting aside selfish ambition. The world often values craftiness, savviness, making decisions that first and foremost benefit ourselves. I think we can probably remember examples from our own lives where people that we know have benefited by putting themselves first, maybe at the cost of us. I wonder the kind of responses you'd get if you asked friends and family those who know and don't know Jesus, what's the wisest decision you ever made? I wonder, would they talk about an investment or a job they took or an opportunity that they pursued? I think the wisest decision I ever made was to follow Jesus. And everything has flown from that. It's not always been easy. And it's been costly at times. And I definitely haven't always got it right. But I don't regret the decision to follow Jesus. And it's a decision that I have to recommit myself to frequently. So... Some of you may have noticed in my talks, I tend to, I tend to quote the Sermon on the Mount and C.S. Lewis. 
So if you've got a bingo card, you can tick those boxes. I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis now. <laughs> I've, I've spoken about my love for the Narnia books before. Um, hopefully many of you have read them or at least aware of them. One of the books that I've recently read with uh, Miles and Sophia is Prince Caspian. And Prince Caspian is kind of the middle book in the series. Um, so the Pevensey children, Lucy, Edmund, um, Peter and Susan, um, have returned to Narnia after they had been to Narnia the first time during the Witch in the Wardrobe. They'd ruled over Narnia as high kings and queens. Um, and they've come back. And whilst it's only been a year of their lives in our world, um, it's been hundreds, if not thousands of years in Narnia, and it's unrecognisable to them. And they've been called back by Prince Caspian, um, magically, um, and they are travelling on foot. They are trying to get to Aslan, who's under siege from his enemies. Uh, sorry, not Aslan, Prince Caspian uh, and the Narnians who are under siege from their enemies. And Lucy, the youngest, who's probably got the closest relationship with Aslan, sees Aslan kind of on a hill as they're trying to get to Caspian. Um, and he's up the top of a narrow path and she's the only person that can see him. And she says to her brothers and sister, look, there's Aslan, that's where he's going. We need to follow him. Uh, and they don't believe her. They think that she's mistaken, and they take the more obvious route, which ends up leading them into their enemies, and they have to flee. And they've wasted a load of time going the wrong way, basically. And so that evening, that night, whilst they're all asleep, Aslan comes to Lucy. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. For a time she was so happy that she didn't want to speak, but Aslan spoke. Lucy, he said, we must not lie here long. You have work in hand, and much time has been lost today. Yes, wasn't it a shame, said Lucy. I saw you all right. They wouldn't believe me. They're also, from somewhere deep inside Aslan's body, there came the faintest suggestion of a growl. I'm sorry, said Lucy, who understood some of his moods. I didn't mean to start slanging the others, but it wasn't my fault anyway, was it? The lion looked straight into her eyes. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, you don't mean it was. How could I? I couldn't have left the others and come up to you alone? How could I? Don't look at me like that. Oh, well, I suppose I could. Yes, and it wouldn't have been alone. I know, not if I was with you. But what would have been the good? Aslan said nothing. You mean, said Lucy rather faintly, that it would have turned all out all right, somehow? But how? Please, Aslan, am I not to know? To know what would have happened, child, said Aslan. No, nobody has ever told that. Oh dear, said Lucy. But anyone can find out what will happen, 
said Aslan. If you go back to the others now and wake them up and tell them you have seen me again and that you must all get up and follow me, what will happen? There is only one way of finding out. Being wise is also about being humble and being obedient. Being prepared to appear foolish in the eyes of others when we know that we are following Jesus. By practicing what Jesus has taught us to do, building our lives upon the rock that is his teaching, following his call, even when others tell us not to, even when others don't believe us. We show our wisdom and understanding by our good lives, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And James tells us the kind of person that this wisdom then produces. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. There's a quote from Bill Johnson that I quite liked. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength submitted. That's not from me, that's Bill Johnson. I couldn't come up with something that good. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength submitted. And I think... It's very easy to get this slightly wrong because being submissive is not being passive. It's about using our gifts and our talents and our strengths and the equipment, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to submit to God's will and to do the things that He's calling us to do, to be obedient. It's not passive. It's active, but it's active in obedience to where God is calling us, where Jesus is calling us, what he's calling us to do. A few years ago, a friend of mine called me for some advice. It was one of those moments where you kind of take a deep breath and you go, oh, God, I need a hand here. So he'd, um, he'd put in an application for a transfer and he had, he had the opportunity. He'd basically been deliberately vague about a detail. Um, I, I think the background is that he was fully entitled for the transfer, and it was a legitimate request. And actually, he I wouldn't say deserved it, but it, it was right that he would have it. Anyway, um, there was something that he'd been deliberately vague about on the, um, on the application form, and, and he got asked for specifics. And he had the opportunity, he had, he had the opportunity to tell a lie, not a big lie, but a lie nonetheless, um, that would have been almost impossible to disprove. Um, but he knew, and I agreed with him, that if he told the truth, he would almost certainly be rejected. So he said, John, what should I do? (laughs) 
So, you know, when you kind of send one of those little arrow prayers, like, Holy Spirit, give me a hand here, I need some help. Um, and I said to him, and I don't think in the moment, unprepared, I'd have been able to say this unless it had come from God. I, I said, if you tell a lie and they get re- then get rejected, there's nothing you can do. That's it. You have to accept the decision. But if you tell the truth and get rejected, you can appeal and you can keep on appealing because you've maintained your integrity. And so he told the truth and he got rejected and then he appealed and he was successful in the appeal. And the thing was that in that moment, I was able to ask, do you want me to pray for you? And I continued to pray for him and I believe it was an answer to prayer and he's not a Christian yet, unfortunately, but I continued to pray for him and he's okay with that. But in a worldly sense, I, I, I don't know why he asked me in that moment. Um, I don't know if he'd have asked someone else, whether he'd have got a different answer. But I think sometimes making what the world might see as a foolish decision, but what God would see as a wise decision, turns out to be a wise decision in the end. So, coming into land, what do we do with this? How do we turn this from not just being an intellectual exercise where we kind of think about what wisdom is and we can actually kind of put some of this into practice? I think the first thing to say is, if you are not already a follower of Jesus, come and speak to Rich, Rachel, or myself, or anybody else that looks like a friendly face. We would love to talk to you about following Jesus, what it means, how to do it. And for those of us that already are followers of Jesus, um, I shared at the Leaders Weekend, and and Rich has mentioned it um, previously. Do you mind putting up the picture on the slide? I took this in the Vatican um, uh, back in September, and this is uh, an image, uh, a painting of um, a broken Roman idol on the ground where in its place is Jesus on the cross put on a pedestal. And I kind of, this blew me away in the Vatican and, you know, in the context of being there at a, at a conference which was pretty much all about self-promotion. Um, this kind of knocked me for six. And, uh, and I think the call to God to me and what I share today is we need to slay our idols, whatever they be, envy, selfish ambition, whatever it is that is getting in the way of us being obedient. The other thing we can do is ask for it. Ask for wisdom. In James 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And one of the things, one of the practices that I've done, which I've found really effective, is to Practice spontaneous obedience, daily decisions. And the thing that I found really helpful is, again, from the Sermon on the Mount, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl? No, they put it on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so for a season, and I need to pick this back up, I would say that every morning as I was going to work. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Just daily submitting myself to God. And then in the big decisions that come along, seek wise counsel, fast, pray, submit yourself to God, and wisdom will come. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you that you are good to us, that you are patient, that you are gentle, that you are kind. We thank you that you have called us personally with purpose to do the things that you've called us to do. We thank you that our faith is not one that we keep in a, in a, in a room hidden away. We thank you that, our, that what you call us to isn't, isn't self-preservation, that we are saved, that our salvation is guaranteed in you and that what you call us to do is to your purposes to serve you, to submit ourselves to you, to be obedient to you in everything that we do. Teach us wisdom and help us to live out your calling every day.